0: This is the Seahawks Draft Show, and it is Mock Draft Monday as SB Nation rolls through their first round of the Mock Draft, and each of the SB Nation sites are going through and taking their pick, uh, just going through the draft, no trades, which, I mean, as Seahawks fans, we're all expecting the Seahawks to trade down, but we got a stand pat at number 21, and just to give you a recap of those coming off the board, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to welcome on my guest, Michael Stuffer Edwards, the, the king of the mock drafts on uh, the field goals. Michael, how you doing? Doing good. What have you been keeping in mind for Seattle as you as you do your mock drafts leading up to April 25th?
1: Primarily uh, trading back. That's why when, when we started looking at this for the SP Nation one with no trades, I actually had to look a little bit closer because I haven't looked at most of these guys that closely um, the guys that will for sure be there at 21. Cause I just assume we're going to trade back. I mean, we do most years and we only have four picks this year. So uh, that feels like it's even stronger indication that we'll trade back this year. So like most uh, in their first pick, I'm looking for a combination of the type of guy they want, but also just the, the best talent at prime positions that they're looking for. If they're going to stick at 21, it's going to be for somebody that um, they think is going to impact in the first year and develop into a pro bowl type player. So at this point, that inside out pass rusher type guy is, is, is definitely probably high on their list
0: a complimentary player to add with Frank Clark, also Jaron Reed and on the inside. So adding to that depth on pass rush seems like, and and with that being such a, uh, such a big part of this draft, you know, so much depth of talent uh, at that position, you know, picking even at, at 21, you're, you're going to get one of the top players in this draft just because it does have that kind of depth and running down the list of, Guys who have come off the board so far so people can kind of understand who's who's still on the board in this particular mock draft. Uh, You have Arizona going with Kyler Murray, the quarterback, Nick Bosa going to San Francisco. So our two NFC West foes getting the, the top two picks there. Josh Allen of Kentucky going to the New York Jets, then and Williams of Alabama coming off the board Ed Oliver of Houston, Devin White, LSU, Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State. You got Brian Burns going in the top 10 Florida State edge rusher, uh, TJ Hawkinson, the tight end of Iowa. And uh, then you got Drew Locke finishing out the top 10 Missouri quarterback going to the Denver Broncos. Let's get your thoughts Michael out of out of those top 10 uh, do any of those particular guys jump out at you as maybe being too early or is that kind of in line of what you've been seeing going in uh, for these first 10 picks
1: Yeah the top 5 5 or 6 there are pretty That's pretty much what everybody's projecting. Um, Haskins is a little bit of a wild card because obviously it's a season of lying. So you never know what people really think, but there's a lot of people really down on him. I haven't seen him that much. Obviously I didn't look at quarterbacks that much for us. Um, Right. (laughs) Really the main time I saw him was in the Rose bowl. And truthfully, I was actually impressed with him. If, if you can complete passes against the Husky defense and, and play a pretty solid game against the Husky defense, you you're you're not bad. He did a good job of, he hangs in the pocket with just small adjustments and changes. He changed his arm angle a whole bunch to get passes through. So without, you know, small sample size. So without seeing a ton on him, you know, I could see why people were, he's projected up here. They don't like his mobility and some of, some of his other, you know, his deep ball wasn't good. We, we picked him off a bunch. So, I I mean, I get that, but um, so he could move around and plus people Teams just get really weird with quarterbacks in the top 10 as mm-hmm. far as trading up and moving mm-hmm. stuff around. So I could see him moving around and it's possibly sliding down, but I bet you he probably goes a little higher than that. Uh, and I bet you one other quarterback, you know, Drew locks there at number 10, three in the top 10 is probably the men. I would guess it would, I would not be that surprised if there end up being four. And I'm not saying that four of them deserve to be top 10. It's just kind of what happens. Um, Burns definitely will go in there. The one I could see sliding out of there would be Hawkinson. Um, he's yeah. a tight end. I heard on the radio that that if he went in the top ten, that would be the first in like the last decade to have gone in the top ten or something. There's not that often that you have a tight end go in the first round, let alone and you know that's a recent thing where we're having tight ends go in the first round. So I could definitely see him sliding as teams trade up to grab quarterbacks and some of these guys bump down. So Hawkinson would be one of the guys. Um, And oh, by the way, if by some miracle he made it to 21, which I don't see happening, but if he did make it to 21 he's one of the few guys that I would be very happy them sitting on 21 to take. He's, he, he's the real deal blocking, catching. He, he's, he does it all. And, uh, he, he would be a one to stick around for.
0: Well, and you wonder, too, in the Buffalo ramblings community, you know, if they see tight end as a need, you know, they could be thinking, too, that that's just the Bills pick. And maybe the the Buffalo trades out of that pick and and goes after Hawkinson a few picks later because this is a no trade draft. But going down uh, the rest the, the next 10 picks before we get to the Seahawks, the Bengals with Devin Bush, linebacker out of Michigan. Montez Sweat, Mississippi State going to the Packers, Miami uh, taking Jawan Taylor, the tackle of Florida. Then another tackle off the board, Jonah Williams of Alabama to the Falcons. Cleland Farrell, edge defender for Clemson going to the Skins. And you got Carolina Panthers taking the Washington State offensive tackle Andre Dillard. New York Giants, Rashawn Gary falling all the way to 17. And Minnesota Vikings taking the guard from Oklahoma, Cody Ford. And then the next two picks, you got Tennessee Titans taking the offensive lineman Garrett Bradbury at NC State and Byron Murphy, the Huskies corner going to the Steelers at 20. Any comments on on those next 10?
1: That one's a lot easier for us to watch as far as, you know, guys getting grabbed that we possibly want because there's a lot of offensive tackles in there. And I don't think we're in the market for an offensive tackle anywhere in that position. And none of these guys are generational type talent tackles you know that's why they're 13 and later you know when right I mean, if, if you have the true you yeah, know you're going top five tackles, top, yeah. yeah you're going top five top 10 at the least you know 13 and on that's the hey these are the best tackles you know you look at all andre dillard he's a really good pass blocker but he, he's not a great run blocker so um and that's kind of similar for the other guys that there wouldn't be necessarily the guys we would want anyway uh Farrell would be uh one we would look look at and i wouldn't be too upset if we grabbed him. Uh, he's got the tape and the the traits that we would look at of a Freight Clark replacement level kind of guy to put on the other side, and mm-hmm. um, that 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 doesn't hurt. Devin Bush maybe would be good to stick around for, but you know, I I I just don't see us needing that type of guy that bad at 21 to give up trading back for the picks. Uh, Sweat is another, he's pure, pro, pure traits. The tape is good, but it's not that good. And then there's a bunch of, you know, offensive linemen, which I just don't think we're going to stick around for Byron Murphy. Love the player. You know, when we talk about Seahawk traits for quarterback, cornerbacks, especially the 32 inch arms, he obviously doesn't fit that. He's a smaller guy, um, but that's kind of mostly just drafted outside cornerbacks. And, you know, Coleman didn't meet those criteria and they were more than happy to bring him in at the next level. Murphy's probably is a slot corner kind of guy just based on his size, you know, and move him in and out to safety type stuff, depending on who's there. Uh instinctive, great cover guy. So I could see him taking him. But again, I would be surprised just based on his size and that you know, in that spot for them to stick around there. Yeah,
0: I think taking an outside corner or really even an inside corner in the first round when the Seahawks really do need to trade back, accumulate more picks in the in the first and second round, it just feels like, well, the Seahawks have never drafted a, a corner that early. You know, the earliest was uh, Shaquille Griffin in the third round. And even before that, what was it? The the fourth round The Walter Thurmond. Was and he was the earliest pick that Pete Carroll took in the draft, and you know, that was all the way back in 2010. So they always seem to find their corners uh, in the fifth round, sixth round, and they they do such a good job of training those guys up.
1: And this year, there is more guys that fit their profile um, than any year I remember. There's going to be multiple guys in the fifth, sixth round that uh, they will be perfectly happy with size wise, you know, and Isaiah Johnson. Of Houston, you got uh, Jordan Miller out of Washington. Blessing Asante out of Rutgers. Um, there's, there's and there's a few others that definitely meet their uh, size criteria that they have.
0: So now that we've gone through the first twenty picks and seen who's coming off the board. Where are you thinking for the Seahawks? Are you still on the defensive line? You know, they have a need at potentially at receiver. They also, you know, there's plenty of defensive backs that could kind of go in the late first round, early second round that are kind of intriguing. Where's your mind going now that uh, now that we're at pick number twenty one?
1: It's sticking with the defensive line and, and truthfully at this position with who is left of the players, somebody more close to the D D tackle and you know, the ideal to get, if you're going to go this high is to get that, that guy that can play an end on base downs and, you know, come inside and rush from the inside on passing downs. There are receivers left, but this receiver class is not the greatest ever. There's none of these guys have shown. They're going to for sure be a number one to start with. Maybe they develop into it and they're all still on the board. So you could take any of them. Um, But at 21 here, that it just seems, you know, you especially you look at DK Metcalf, he's the main one that they've, you know, getting mocked into the first round by everybody. And he's, you know, the traits are off the charts amazing, but he's basically got like one season of tape because of injuries mm-hmm. um, and a neck injury that was really scary. So are you really going to have him long enough for him to develop into anything? Um, and then, you know, similar kind of thing when you uh, look at any of the other receivers. So Butler's there although I think this is way high for him because the guy drops the ball a lot.
0: Paris Campbell's there. He's a the guy that the Seahawks brought in on a top 30 visit, uh, Nikhil Harry.
1: Yeah, and I look at both. So Harry, I, one of the field goals writers described him in the. it uh, was John uh, Morgan described him so perfectly. Be, uh, you know, I as a Pac-12 fan, I've watched him play a few times and I get that the traits are all there. I get that his combine is going to be awesome. But then you watch his... You know, I watched him play against the Huskies and they made him look bad all the time, you know, in multiple years, multiple games. So when he went against the closest thing he could, as far as an NFL def- level defense, which is that's the closest he got to do to one, he got shut down by that defensive backfield pretty cleanly. So I just don't see him as the dominant number one guy who's going to. Transcend above it, you know, above whoever he's going against. And if you're picking a receiver at twenty-one, because I mean there's so many receivers as you go through. Um right. and then same thing with Paris Campbell. He didn't do anything in the Rose Bowl, relatively speaking, you know. So I just don't see these guys as if you're gonna pick a wide receiver at twenty-one or in the first round period, they better be just Pro Bowl within a year type of guys. And both those guys are probably gonna be good, but you know, is it is it really worth it for that pick to give up having another third rounder and another fifth rounder and I I just don't see it there.
0: All right, Michael. So you're on the clock now time to turn in the card. Who's it going to be?
1: I'd go with Jerry Tillery. We'll call him defensive line out of uh, Notre Dame. Uh, He's definitely a, uh, uh, a tweener as far as is he a defensive end or is he a a defensive tackle? Uh, You can put him in either spot and he will uh, do just fine. Uh, you can move him inside, rush him from there. You can put him on the outside and he'll stop the run just fine and rush from the defensive end spot. The tape is good. It's not as good as his traits are. His traits wise he is an explosive big two, you 6'6", know, 295 pounds, 34 and a quarter inch arms, giant hands, strong, good bench, good explosive numbers, really quick for his size, short shuttle, all of that is checks out awesome. And his Tape is good, but it's not. You look at his traits and his size and everything and you think he should be more dominant. I'm going to leave that obviously up to the coaching staff because that's more of a was that because of how they were using him, the people around him, or is that really he's just not that good. I will would roll the dice on him based on his traits and his uh, general build that he's he's set up to be a Frank Clark level or better two gap pass rusher from the middle.
0: Well, I gotta say, when I see his traits and and his size, it uh, it matches up pretty well with a guy that they picked uh, with their first selection overall just a couple years back with Malik
1: McDowell. Right. I don't know if he likes to ride four wheelers, so they probably need (laughs) to ask that question. You know, put that in the initial contract or something. But
0: no um, four wheelers this offseason.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, he's got a couple little red flags, but you know, it's when whenever they're suspended for from something for violating team rules, I assume they got caught smoking pot. You know, obviously that's something you have to worry about, but it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. He doesn't have anything, you know, it doesn't show any laziness or any of the other stuff that was kind of the like pseudo red flags and McDowell's. Um, if you read on him before we got him that year, I didn't ever really mock him to us because looking at some of the character stuff of, Hey, he was lazy, he took place off this and that. I didn't think we would look at him at all. And he doesn't have any of that stuff. You know, he's not perfect, but he's definitely uh, doesn't have any of the things that would scare us like McDowell did. But he has all the traits and the look of being a dominant inside out kind of pass rusher. A young version of uh, Michael Bennett, but a little bigger, a little quicker.
0: If Seahawks fans want to go and check out even just one of Jerry Tillery's games... Uh, where would you go to where would you send them to to watch a particular game and to see what uh, they might be able to you know what would get them excited about tillery becoming a seahawk
1: honestly if you just want to see the the basics if you just google him with video uh, there is a ton of stuff out there where you're just going to get highlights if you uh, go jerry tillery either game film or pff Draft film room, Uh, pfs put out some uh, pretty good scouting looks. You have to put up with listening to them talk about him, but you get to see (laughs) them look at specific stuff as you know he mows over different offensive lines.
0: All right, Michael. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and joining us and breaking down the Jerry Tillery pick for the SB Nation mock draft. If people want to check out more of your stuff, uh, when can we expect to see another Michael Stuffer Edwards mock draft on field goals?
1: I have one pretty much done i'm waiting to see what happens in the news <laughs> it will either be out on tuesday or if lots of news happens monday night and we're breaking down some new contracts i'm not gonna say who's on tuesday then it'll wait till thursday so we should have one out this week either tuesday or thursday depending on what happens and then uh, uh next week uh, the w- or the, the week of the draft gonna do a one synopsis one with every pick I've looked at, just so it's a one place to look if you want to see different guys that, you know, could possibly be on the on the radar. Uh and then uh I'll do one that's actually what the guys I would pick, who I think the Seahawks would pick, which I haven't done yet. Then we'll we'll wait and on Thursday watch the uh watch the tweets come from uh Pete Carroll. Yeah, gotta watch for those draft clues
0: to to see if we can kind of narrow down our focus a little bit.
1: Yeah, last year, I'm pretty sure he was drinking while he put him out. But, you know, you never know.
0: (laughs) You never know. Well, Michael, appreciate you once again coming on and talking draft.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up next, my co-host Rob Staten will join the show to offer his thoughts on Tillery and take a look at some of the directions Seattle could move toward after trading down. And joining us to talk about the Jerry Tillery pick for the Seahawks in the SB Nation mock draft, Mr. Rob Staten, SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, how are you doing? I'm great.
2: Thanks, Brandon. Uh, Good to speak to you today.
0: As I talked about with Michael in the previous segment, the most likely option for the Seahawks is to trade down. Now, he, he didn't seem to think that Tillery would still be available if Seattle does decide to trade down. But I think that potential's there considering some of the other names that are still on the board at defensive line. So I, but first, I, let's get your thoughts on the Tillery pick, Rob.
2: I've got mixed views on the pick, really. I mean, Jerry Tillery is quite an interesting player to, to have a conversation about because purely from an athletic point of view, he does match a lot of what the Seahawks look for in terms of his size the length he's got, the athleticism, you know, we've we've identified that they spend a lot of time uh, looking at the short shuttle, for example, for big defensive linemen. There's a pretty much a consistent level there, whether it's Rasim Green, Jordan Hill back in the day, Malik McDowell. Yeah, pretty much all of the defensive linemen that they've drafted have done very, very well. Frank Clark had an exceptional short shuttle. That's that's a test which really seems to matter. And when you look at Tillery. He ran a four-three-three short shuttle, which is fantastic for a guy at two hundred ninety-five pounds. Four-nine-three forty is excellent. His um, vertical and his is broad fine, but you know, really, you're looking at that quickness and that agility, and he has got that with amazing size and length. So he ticks all of those boxes. So from a purely physical profile point of view, he is very much a you know an ideal Seahawks pick in the top forty. Um, there are some concerns that I would have with him, though. Firstly, he had a lot of his production in sort of two or three games. Stanford, for example, despite the fact that they've been very good on the offensive line for a number of years and have a very physical running style, have have been quite poor in in that regard for a couple of years now on the O-line. And he he kind of just bossed the Stanford O-line and padded his stats a little bit there. There are a lot of games where he kind of drifts in and out and he doesn't have much of an impact. I would have some reservations about his ability to play across the line. Now, one of the great things about Malik McDowell, who I think a lot of people will compare him to and feel that he could be a replacement there, is that Malik McDowell was just as good rushing the edge, which was incredible, really, for a 295-pound defensive lineman as he was rushing from inside. You would see McDowell rushing as a speed rusher off the edge and using the same sort of club swipe to get free time and time again. And then you would see him lining up as a nose tackle for Michigan State and carrying two blocks and playing against the run. He was a unique player. When you look at someone like Rasheem Green, he also was able to rush the edge with some success at USC and then move inside and handle star offensive linemen. The center that the Bengals took from Ohio State, Brian Price last year, had a really rough outing against Rasheem Green at the end of the season in the bowl game. When you watch Jerry Tillery I don't see a guy who can line up at defensive end, not not in a four-man front. I mean, I think in a, in a three-four, he could play the five technique as a DE in a three-man front, and I think that would suit him probably the best. But I think for schemes like the Seahawks, I would want him sort of playing as that bigger three technique inside. And then I would worry a little bit about his run defense. He's much better at shooting gaps, being quick, you know, impacting plays as a pass rusher than he is of holding the line, being stout against the run, making sure he's got good gap discipline. And that is something that I think is important for the Seahawks. So you kind of have to weigh all these things up. There are some small character concerns as well. And it's not just like some people have suggested, the fact that he's traveled a lot. He's been all around the world. He seems to be a very learned individual with a lot of interests. And that that is in some way a negative, you know, that's not really the main issue here. If people watched the Notre Dame-USC game. He, for some reason, and I, I just didn't understand this. There was a player injured on the floor, USC player. And as Tillery walked past, he kicked him in the head when he was down on the turf. And then later in the same game, there was another USC player down injured and Tillery stamped on his ankle. And then he was off and Brian Kelly, the coach, was right in his face on the sidelines saying, what are you doing? And it was just a rush of blood to the head. And it's the kind of thing that you'd expect from Vontae's Perfect. And it just made you wonder a little bit, you know, what what's going on here? You know, you just don't see you know, you see dirty players and you see little cheap shots every now and again. But this just seemed was appalling, really.
0: That's really interesting because, you know, it just in terms of, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think you expected more from players, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, you know, where there was that kind of intense hatred, you know, once you got on the field. And I know for some Seahawks fans, well, some NFL fans overall, they kind of, I think once the game's going, you know, we all kind of have that irrational, you know, we call it sports hate uh, toward another team, you know, you don't have any reason to uh, have any ill will against some of those players but uh, for a guy on the
2: field that's very unusual to, for from what we've seen from players lately yeah, it, it was it a bit out of character based on everything you kind of know about him as well so that there was that and there was this other thing which i don't know people can make something of this or they can't really it's up to you but there was—he suddenly started liking a load of tweets that suggested that Brian Kelly should be fired at Notre Dame and that they should go and get Les Miles, mm. which you know is the kind of thing that just you just don't do it because lo and behold, somebody noticed that he'd been liking these tweets. It became a bit of a storm in the media. Um, I think he had to apologise for this. So there's that as well. He's a former offensive when he was in high school. He was actually—if you watch the rivals videos—but he was actually. Recruited as an offensive lineman, and then switched to defensive line as a lot of guys do. I, I'll just for sort of finish with my thoughts. And I've, I've, Bob McGinn sources NFL scouts and puts these little reports together on guys, and I always find them quite interesting. You can learn a lot from this because this is what these are the opinions of people who are actually in the NFL. So this is what Bob McGinn sources. He spoke to two scouts, yeah, what they had to say about Jerry till I mean, there's two very different opinions here. Um, mm-hmm. This is what the first one says: Every Notre Dame guy's best game was against Stanford. He can play 3 4 defensive end. He can play inside at 4 3. Talent, he could be a first round guy. Altogether, I don't think so. He's a big freaking roll of the dice as a player and a bigger roll of the dice as a kid. His level of consistency over his career just hasn't been there. So that's one uh, source. But another one said. He's smarters and then there's brackets because there was an expletive. Uh, I think he's tougher than people give him credit for, and he does actually like the game of football. So it's kind of two contrasting things there. The, the only other final thing to say is that he's actually had labrum surgery uh, during this offseason. He worked out the combine. He's had surgery to repair a torn labrum. Um, I think he's expected to be healthy for the start of the season, but that is a, a bit of a question mark as well.
0: Well, it's an interesting look at the player, and, you know, it does sound like there's a lot of similarities to the Malik McDowell pick apart from the idea of that, that Tillery seems more of an inside type guy, uh, but he does have that athletic profile that you would expect the Seahawks to look for. Uh, one thing I noticed too, pro football focus among the linemen uh, that's well, Alistair Corp for field goals. He does a list, you know, kind of similar how you've outlined players and their athletic profile. Al- Alistair has uh, one that's similar uh, for the field goals draft board. And among all the players of the interior rushers, I went and looked at their PFF grades and Tillery uh, among the uh, the top of them, the only one in the 90s out of all the guys that kind of fit that interior pass rush profile for the Seahawks. And I know Tristan Hill was another guy that uh, was similar. Um, he had, uh, you know, a lot of those same measurements. But, you know, look at his PFF grade. It's under 80 and it's one of the things i know that pff it's hard to really you know, they've they've had plenty of criticism about their grading scale but one thing that i feel like that they've done pretty well with is identifying guys at the college level you know that score high that go on to become solid players at the next level so it's just kind of an interesting data point for, for me to see that he did score so well despite like you mentioned having a lot of that production primarily in, in in two or three games. You know, he had seven sacks on the season, but four of them were in that game against Stanford.
2: Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I could imagine a scenario, you know, if the Seahawks drafted Jerry Tillery with their first pick, you could you could write an article immediately afterwards going, okay, this makes sense because of the short shuttle, because of the size and the length, and the fact that the Seahawks do need some more pass rush. You know, I, I do have some slight skepticism over whether they're going to go in that direction, though. I think part of it, you look at what the Seahawks have done specifically at defensive tackle, and if they view him, and if we view him, just as a as an interior guy, not somebody who's going to necessarily play inside out, you look at the players they've used inside over the last few years, and they've you know they've they've seemed more willing to bring in a guy like Shamar Stephen or you know going back in the day, you know Tony McDaniel and and people like that to play there. Their highest pick at the defensive tackle has been for Jeran Reed, who they traded up for in the second round. And, and he wasn't a pass rusher, you know. He was somebody that has become a pass rusher over time, but was best known for his anchor and his ability to defend the run at Alabama and, and be a big-time leader. Um, and very few character concerns there about him. So I, I'm not sure they would necessarily go for that. And the other thing is that there are a lot of players who can play inside out who might be available in the middle round. So you kind of have to weigh it up. You know, you're better off going for Jerry Tillery with your first pick or do you wait a little bit and then considers, consider someone like Charles who, If he's around in, in round three, who can play inside out. It's a little bit small. He's about 280, 285, but can play end and can play inside. Do you look at people like Kiki Kingsley? Do you look at uh, Daniel Wise, Zach Allen, Anthony Nelson? You know, people like that who can play a bit of inside out. I mean, there's possibly even a chance that Armand Watts could do a bit of that. Tristan Hill has rushed from the edge and looked very good doing it uh, in the few snaps that he got that at UCF. You've got John Kaminsky. I mean, it is an area where there is an awful lot of depth, that sort of five technique base end type of player. So you have to kind of weigh up. Are you better off going for Tillery earlier? Are you better off waiting for just get a defensive tackle who can line up next to Jaron Reed, provide a bit of rotation with Puna Ford and Reed in there? or you're going to go out for someone like Tillery and hope that he can be another 10-sack guy. I'm I'm not totally convinced they'll do that. I think they see that Jaron Reed got the sacks last year. Give him a chance to do that again. Maybe look at an Albert Huggins. Maybe look at an Armand Watts. Maybe look at somebody who can hold the other position and rotate with Puna Ford, and then maybe go for a dynamic base end and someone who can be a bookend for Frank Clark as a pass rusher, maybe.
0: Well, and I will say, too, that it wasn't a a unanimous decision to go with Tillery. It was two different ways that a lot of the folks with field goals that that we wanted to go, that some wanted to go defensive line and others wanted to go wide receiver. And and those were the two areas where everybody seemed uh, primarily locked into where those two positions going first overall for the Seahawks.
2: Yeah. And that, you know, that makes some sense. I think that if you had to highlight the two biggest needs, it is. To add to the defensive line because they've lost Shamar Stephen and Deon Jordan and not added anything to the defensive line so far. I suppose you could argue Nate Orchard and Cassius Marsh have, have come back in, but um, you know they're guys who, who are no guarantee to make the roster. Um, they're going to be there as competition, so that they could do with some adding adding some players there. And receiver, the question marks around Doug Baldwin's future make that a, a prospect. And you also have to consider this with the receiver position. The depth at defensive line, for example, will go on and on. It'll go deep into rounds three and four, but the, the quality at receiver may be restricted to sort of that early second round period and there's a drop-off. Right. And you might be picking through the scraps if you wait for rounds three and four. So you're going to have to balance the two things out. And this is the thing the Seahawks will do. They will go into this draft class and say, okay, these are our needs. Where can we fill them? You know, if, can we get a good defensive line, a couple of defensive linemen in rounds three and four? Can we get a receiver in round two and then say that we have filled three needs? That's how they will view it. And it's, it's the reason why I suppose the nickel cornerback position might get looked at earlier on because there are a very strong collection of defensive backs who can play that role, who again will be there in round two. So if you don't get a receiver, maybe you go that way first and then wait on the defensive lineman and use the depth to your advantage. And this is something they did a few years ago when they took Shaquille Griffin in round three. If people remember, that was a legendary cornerback draft. Right. Um, and yet they didn't take one until round three because they knew they could wait that long and still get a guy that they really liked, but they really needed a cornerback. Shaquille Griffin ended up starting as a rookie. So I just wonder if they may do the same thing on the defensive line this year.
0: I definitely feel it going that way, Rob. And I, you identified if, if I was going to pick a third position of need for the, the Seahawks. To go with their first pick overall, I definitely feel like a defensive back, you know, whether it's some kind of either has that flexibility to play, you know, more big nickel type player or or just someone with the type of character traits that they really look for at another position. I don't think they'll go corner. I feel like we're good at corner, but, you know, at the safety position, a guy who can play slot and safety, you know, there's that potential there.
2: Yeah. I mean, that would be a big boost for the Seahawks. Delano Hill played, you know, 30 to 40% of the snaps last year and he only started two games. So they were using him as a big nickel. And Justin Coleman played nearly 70% of the snaps. So they became a, you know, a nickel based team. Um, So if they can get a guy who can line up and and it's like one week, they may just be a standard nickel and just work in there. The next week they may have to match up against a a really dynamic tight end. The next week, it may be that you play two safeties up at the line like the Patriots did against the Rams. You try and take away those misdirection sweeps, reverses and stuff that the, uh, the Rams love to do. And it just so happens that this is a really strong class for hybrid safety defensive back types who can run and sprint to the ball carrier, tackle well, can get off blocks in the case of Chansey Garner, Garner johnson He gets off blocks incredibly well and they can make plays in the backfield. Garner johnson had nine and a half tackles for a loss last year, which is better than some defensive linemen. So, you know, they can make plays up around the line of scrimmage, but they can also, they've got the speed to play in coverage and the agility to play in coverage. So that will be very, very tempting for the Seahawks as well as receiver and defensive line.
0: Well, Rob, appreciate you coming on, sharing your thoughts on Tillery and sharing your thoughts on where the Seahawks could go with their first pick overall. Uh, Coming up later in the week, you and I will be talking about some of the guys brought into Seattle as their top 30, their official visits. So, uh, folks can look for that a little bit later this week. Thanks for tuning in. Please tell your fellow Seahawks fans about the show. If you find value in these shows, you can help support the podcast by going to getintheflock.com. And we'll be back once again later in the week to talk more draft right here on the Field Goals Podcast feed.